Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. The postseason is officially here. UConn wrapped up the regular season. The Big East tournament is on the horizon and we are officially into March. We've arrived. The Huskies closed out the regular season with a tight come from behind win against DePaul and then quite possibly the ugliest game of the season just a nine-point victory over a Xavier team that had not won a single Big East game and did not win a single Big East game this season at home at Gamble Pavilion on senior night. The more interesting thing than either of those two games is afterwards, Gino went off on his team. He said that he can't blame the injuries, the fatigue, the tiredness anymore, that his team's playing selfish, they're not listening they're just doing what they want to do instead of doing what they're coached to do. He said they're poorly coached, which falls on him and his staff. He said that players aren't playing consistent enough. They're either really good or really bad. That also sums up the team as a whole. Either they're really good or they're really bad. He doesn't think that they're going to have a very long postseason. He thinks it's going to be really hard for them to turn it around. I don't think he was in a great mood after the game. <laughs> yeah, I think that's safe to say, which if anyone watched that game, it's not really that surprising. I was just a neutral observer and I was not happy after <laughs> that game. I had to risk my life driving in the snow back home to watch that game. It was terrible. There's not a single redeeming quality about that game that I can remember. And if there was, I've already blacked the entire thing out because that's how <laughs> bad it was. Yep. Pretty much sums it up. <laughs> so I think the big story is Gino's comments, especially on the eve of the Big East tournament. The way I see them, he's definitely not wrong in any category. They certainly look like a team that's maybe dealing with complacency because he said that they haven't been the same since that South Carolina game. The numbers all back that up. And gee, what was the mood after that South Carolina t- game? This team is really good. They are the second best team in the country. I think they started feeling themselves a little too much. And the last few months or the last month, just the last month, the last few weeks, the last month have kind of spelled that out of a team that almost kind of looks like it's coasting. And there were fatigue factors in there. And I think, we could talk about it more in depth, but I think to totally discount it is a little unfair too, but there were some games where fatigue was a factor. There are some games where injuries were maybe more of a factor than others, but overall, I think it is pretty clear that this team doesn't have its edge right now. And whether that's due to complacency, whether that's another reason, only those inside the program and maybe they don't even know, but Overall, I think what he said was pretty true. Yeah, and I think we've seen it in the way that this team has showed up since that South Carolina game. I think the only game that we've really seen them show up for is that that Villanova game on the road. And that game had, you know, the hype around it. It was the top 15 matchup. It was the big road game. And we haven't seen them necessarily show up the way they should against the rest of these opponents. And that kind of goes along with what he's saying about the team being a little complacent at the moment. And it started immediately because there is that loss to Marquette. (laughs) And the way Gino described it was there is just a total mental checkout. So 
okay, in one bad game after this big emotional contest when the team was very clearly tired at that point, I think he could dismiss that pretty comfortably the way that we did after that game because we'd only seen them play poorly once. But now as you look at it in a trend of large or a a long trend is what I meant to say of bad performances, it's definitely the first domino that's fallen in the stretch. And it's the first time we've heard that something mentally did not go right for this team. And it really feels like it's all very mental right now because they got up for South Carolina. They got up for Villanova. And what did he say after St. John's? They thought they were entitled to the Big East title. And basically, without saying it, didn't they didn't take them seriously. And then against a winless Xavier team, he said that UConn didn't think it had to worry too much about Xavier and it didn't take them all that seriously because they hadn't won a Big East game. And I mean, they didn't have to worry about them because they played about as bad as they could and they won by nine. It's the mental side that really seems to be setting off the alarm alarm bells right now. Yeah, agreed. Which in a way is maybe a positive thing and that it's probably a little easier to fix than if it was a true basketball problem. Um, but at the same time, like this team, if they're going to make a deep run in March, needs to turn around the mental side of it very quickly. Yeah, you can't even point to that many basketball problems, specific things that are, well, there are, but they all feel tied to mental things where the way they're turning the ball over right now is not the way they turn the ball over early in the season. The way that they're just going totally stagnant on offense Hmm. What other team did that? Oh yeah. That 2019 20 team that had the worst vibes of any UConn team I have covered. (laughs) And in any sport, in any sport had the worst vibes of any UConn team I've covered on a large basis. Football doesn't count. Football never counts, (laughs) but that team always had trouble being stagnant and not moving enough. And it feels like everything or just switching off defensively. There's so many times where they just give up easy layups. Or the St. John's game, they couldn't get a stop when they needed to, and that's what ultimately cost them. So, yeah, there's basketball problems, but they're all new things, which are kind of, which is kind of a hint that this is not all tied to the basketball court. If they just simply were not a good three-point shooting team, that would be one thing. If they just... <laughs> consistently got dominated on the boards or if they only had one score and other teams have started to shut that player down, but they've shown that a lot of players can put the ball in the basket. They've shown to be a pretty good defensive team. They've hit a lot of shots from the outside, even without AZ FUD. It all kind of comes back to what Gino's saying, where it hasn't been the same since that South Carolina game. He doesn't think they're listening. He said they don't look like a well-coached team, which is pretty accurate. And you kind of hope it's just complacency because not that it's easy to turn around, but that's much more manageable than something deeper going on. Yeah, exactly. I think if it's just complacency, there's probably a certain element of it being March and like the season being on the line each game that will, will help with that piece. Um, But if it's something deeper, then I think it's, you don't have a lot of time to fix it. Granted, like they have this weekend and then they have two weeks off to reset. So there's still 
hope even if things don't get turned around this weekend. I also looked at Gino's comments and it's hard not to acknowledge the timing of it. That is the end of the regular season. There's no way that the Xavier game, as bad as it was, there's no way that's the breaking point because St. John's was also bad. DePaul was bad. Everything except Villanova has been bad. All of what he said has been able to apply for weeks, but he just really felt the need to bring that out against Xavier. I look at it and okay, we're entering the postseason. You got the most practice time they've had since basically the calendar turned to January. It was like between January 2nd and 7th. I think they had four days off. You aren't going to be able to fix every problem that you have right now, but you can at least flip your mind over to postseason mode. You can at least start to work on these mistakes. And he was calling his team out. He was sending a message so that they can take it a little more seriously. It's hard to have this type of overhaul when like, yeah, you play DePaul, you fly home. And then one day later you're playing Xavier. I don't know how much progress is going to happen in the span of 24 hours. And even the three days between St. John's and DePaul, they played St. John's on Tuesday night and they basically had Wednesday, Thursday, and then they flew out on Friday. That's still not that much time to work with. It really feels like Gino honed in on this specific point as the time to send the message to his team and try and get them to flip that switch because he said just last week that once they get past the Big East tournament and get into those 11 days off, that's going to provide a really big boost for this team. And he even said after the Xavier game that these four days off are really going to help. So not that what he's saying is wrong, but... I don't necessarily believe that he believes everything he's saying to the degree that he's saying it. Injuries are still a factor. This team wouldn't have these problems without AZ. And he said that they shouldn't be used as an excuse anymore, but it's still a factor. They're clearly a little worn down right now. It shouldn't be used as, as an excuse again when you can play South Carolina close and you can play Villanova close, but you can't get up to play St. John's or Xavier. Yeah, those are when those things no longer apply, but the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue, it's still clearly factoring in. So this is a very crucial point in the year where is it just a matter of they need to stop using excuses and get back to the way they're playing and do a better job of being coached? Or is it just he wants his team to have a little bit of an edge going into the postseason and wanting to prove him wrong? He likes doing that, and it just really has the vibes of what that whole... I mean, I can't say it was a rant because it was in the entire press conference, but what the whole... What all of what he was saying was kind of geared for. Yeah, exactly. I think we've seen Gino do that in the past, and if you look at the situation they're in right now, like like you said, some of the stuff he said is definitely true, but like, does he really believe this team can't make a deep run in March? Probably not. Like, I don't I think that there's clear evidence that this team has that capability if they can get back to playing how they played in that South Carolina game, how they played in that Villanova game. Um, so uh, a big part of it is probably sending a message to the team going into these four days that they have to reset for the Big East tournament. Well, I actually believe him when he when he says that he doesn't think this team is going to go on a deeper run in March Madness. But aside from like 
what 1995 2002 and 2016 he probably has felt that about or and the 2009 and 10 don't want to forget about them he's probably felt like every single team is going to lose in the first round there's he even admitted there were times last year where he didn't even think they would make the ncaa tournament so i think gino catastrophizes catastrophizes (laughs) is that the word what you know what i'm saying uh more than even the most extreme fans so in that sense i actually believe him but can uconn still make a run in the tournament yeah can they still win the big east tournament i still think they should be the favorites even though Mm -hmm. they've been playing terribly because we've seen that they can play the way that they need to play to win good against good teams or to compete with great teams in this really bad stretch they just need to do it on a consistent basis they can't have that let off anymore the first round game or the quarterfinal game i guess it is that needs to be if not a blowout a comfortable win the semifinal that's going to be a tough game but they played horrible against st john's and only lost by five so maybe i'm overthinking it but it shouldn't take that much to just beat st john's assuming that's who they play in the semifinals or marquette they can beat marquette villanova we've seen two times that they've not necessarily been at the top of their game and can still beat villanova and can still have a really good game plan against villanova it's not like the season's over. It's not like they're irreparably broken, but they do really need to show that things are going to turn around and it's not just picking and choosing when you flip the switch because if you if a team goes in thinking like that, there's going to get to a point where they're down five to, let's just say Villanova, in the fourth quarter. And they've been down five, ten, I think 11 at one point to one team in the fourth quarter before. And a lot of times they've flipped that switch and come back, but maybe this time it'll look like the St. John's game where they make their push and St. John's or Villanova or Marquette or Xavier, who is making the greatest run in the history of postseason sports to the <laughs> Big East final, is up five and doesn't let them make that comeback. So I think consistent performances are where it starts with this team, even if they are consistently a B minus. That is better than being a D plus one game and an A plus the next. You just got to start with consistency. And Gino said it for weeks now. Once they get through the Big East tournament, whatever happens, they're going to be in much better shape coming out of that going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, exactly. Well, looking ahead to the tournament, they kick off on Saturday noon against the winner of Georgetown and Butler. Georgetown's actually given them a little bit of trouble this year, even when they were playing well. That was the second time AZ got hurt, which, you know, could have been a result of that performance. But they still beat Georgetown by, I believe it was nine after losing to Marquette. So while not an easy win, it was still pretty comfortable. If I'm remembering it right, they were pretty much in control the entire way. Butler, they handled easily both times. I think they would handle easily again, even on a bad performance. Either one would just be a very good litmus test of where this team stands. Yeah, I agree. I think as you enter the weekend, looking at how they perform in that game, not just do they win it, but how they win it is going to be a big measuring stick of has this team kind of made 
a bit of a jump from where they were at on Monday. If they come out and it's a struggle, like it has been every other game, they're probably kind of in the same spot. But if they come out and it's a little bit more of a control, you know, they're in control, it's a bigger, more dominant win. I think that's indicative of them making a stride for it, especially when you're talking about it being a complacency thing and not necessarily respecting the opponents that you're playing and if that that's going to be the easiest opponent they face probably for the rest of the season so if they don't come into that game with that attitude i think that's a good sign and i think it's possible they could get a little a little boost if you asked me a week ago i would have said yeah there's there's no chance az fud's coming back this season everything seems to be pointing against her coming back but she warmed up at DePaul. She warmed up at Xavier. She didn't have the game day hair, the game day braids in. But the fact that she's warming up with the team, that's always been the first step back for injured players this year. She did it early in the year. Ayana did it for a couple of games. Caroline did it for a couple of games. Maybe it's not Saturday. Maybe it's a couple minutes on Saturday and not much more than that. But if they get AZ back that has to change the outlook on things because even if she's 50% of herself, if she just stands in the corner and holds one defender out there and can hit two threes in a game, that at least clears up the lane a little bit. So the, the tone that Gino's had talking about AZ switched a little bit. The fact that she's back in warmups, if she weren't returning at all this season, I have a hard time believing she'd be in warmup. So there could be help coming on the horizon. Yeah, I think if we see her in any capacity this coming weekend, that is a that's a good sign for this team because then they've got two weeks in practice to work her back in before the NCAA tournament starts. So that would be, I think, a, a big step if they can get, even if it's just a handful of minutes this weekend from her. And let's say she is back for all three games. I think the team probably learned a little bit of a lesson on how to handle a player who's recently returned from injury in the Big East tournament. Paige played a pretty normal amount in the quarterfinals last year. She played less in the semifinals, and she barely played at all in the finals. And Gino just said that her knee wasn't... Not that it didn't respond well to those three games, but just that it she couldn't jump right back in and immediately play that much in three consecutive days. If AZ is going to come back this weekend... The quarterfinals would be the perfect opportunity to just get her feet wet, get her back into a game, have her run up and down the court a few times in the first and second halves. Then Sunday, I even wouldn't be surprised if she played Saturday but didn't play Sunday to give her an extra break. But if that's not the case, then maybe they just you know, keep her on a lighter schedule, maybe up her minutes a little bit to see how she reacts. And then Monday would be the day that you try and I, I still don't think she would go full at any point in this tournament, but maybe you limit her minutes in the first half. If she's on a 20 minute limit, you play her five minutes in the first half. Then you sub her in late in the third quarter and just hope that you can keep her out there for the rest of the game. So hopefully they learned from the way Paige responded in last year's Big East tournament to try and make it so that the most minutes AZ plays in this tournament, assuming that she plays, which we don't even know that to be the case, assuming that she plays that it'll be most by the end instead of at the beginning. 
Yeah, especially thinking that like that game with Villanova, assuming that's who they play in the final, could be a close one, and they might want to have easy shooting as an option down the stretch. So, as we said earlier, UConn will play the winner of 8-9 Butler in Georgetown, and then the semifinals, assuming UConn wins in the quarterfinals. Assuming that. UConn will get a revenge game in the semifinals. It's either going to be St. John's or Marquette. Is there one team that you'd rather see compared to the other in the semis? I'd like to see them play Marquette because I think that's kind of that like physical defense that UConn's been struggling against a little bit. And I think it's a good chance you're going to see them early, something like that early on in the the Big East tournament, or not the Big East tournament, the NCAA tournament. I think a lot of your eight nines right now are SEC teams that play that kind of defense. So I, I'd like to see them play Marquette and kind of get that type of test. I think Marquette would probably be a better litmus test of where this team stands. I don't think either one UConn's going to take lightly considering they've lost to both of them already, yes. but I don't necessarily get a sense that the, this would be like a grudge match with Marquette. They'd want to get him back for beating them. But that Marquette game was just, it was when all the injuries, all the fatigue, everything that this team's been through, that's when it finally caught up to them. And Marquette's a good team, but it's not like Marquette played it's out of its minds in that game. So I feel like UConn just was able to flush that one pretty well and move on. St. John seems like it has stuck with them a little more and that they were really frustrated that they didn't play the way that they should have. And they had no excuse for not playing the way they should have. And they just need another chance to play them to prove who they really are. So if you're talking about which one would you bring a little more fire to, I think it would be St. John's, but Either one's a very good test of where this team stands if they made any progress over these last four games. And as I've said a bunch on this this episode, previous episodes, they only lost to St. John's by five, and they played horribly. And St. John's themselves played really well in that game. It's not going to take their greatest performances to beat one of these teams. We just are looking for progress. If it's a five-point game, but... They check off all the intangibles, the performances there. It would be a lot easier to look past the result, especially if they win. But if they win because St. John's misses five consecutive free throws at the end of the game when UConn's clinging to a one-point lead and it turned the ball over on its last four possessions and couldn't kill the game, yeah, that would be a different story. Yeah, I think that's going to be a theme of this weekend is the first two games – there's definitely a do they win portion of it, but there's a how do they win portion of it that's probably more important. I think the last game, like if you're playing Villanova or Creighton, I'm good with just, and it's the third game of three days, like just do you win is really what matters. But those first two games, I think there's an element of how they win. Yeah, now I'm looking at the other side of the bracket. Villanova's the two, will play the winner of DePaul and Providence. Creighton's the three, it'll play the winner of Seton Hall and Xavier. Assuming UConn gets to the final, which feels incredibly bizarre to say in this day and age, but assuming UConn gets to the final, which of those two teams would you rather see? I think Villanova. I still think they're pretty clearly the second best team in the conference. And also for Nova's sake, for like they're on that four line. I think if they make it to the final, they stay on the four line and then they get to host. So 
I would say I'd rather say, see it be a Villanova. I think it's better for everyone overall if it's Villanova. I like UConn's matchup against Creighton a little bit better. That's because, Yes, it was a close game that should have gone to overtime if Creighton didn't choke those free throws at the end of the game. I think we've seen two very different extremes when UConn's played Creighton. The, when they went out to Omaha, Creighton couldn't hit a shot and UConn blew him out. When they came to stores, they couldn't miss a shot and they kept it close with UConn. I'd be interested to see what a middle ground would look like. How does Creighton, how does UConn stack up against a Creighton team that really plays five out considering all its pieces, the way Ayanna Patterson played really well. Was it at DePaul? I believe she's seeming to turn a corner, but would Gino give her minutes against Creighton the way that he didn't the last time they played Villanova is the better test, but I don't know. UConn just seems to match up really well with this current version of the Villanova team. And they've got a pretty good formula for beating or at least slowing down Maddie Segrist because some of her worst games in past years have come against UConn. Yeah. She had 25 points when they played in Hartford. That's low for Maddie Segrist. She had 21 points when they played at Villanova. That was tied for her season low. I don't think Villanova has enough firepower besides Segrist to realistically beat UConn unless UConn has either won a really bad night or let Segrist go off. If Segrist goes off for like 45 in this game, that may not even happen. UConn would be in trouble. But if it can keep Segrist in that 20 to 27, even even under 30, and no one else catches fire the way that Lucy Olsen had 19 points up in Hartford or something like that, I feel pretty good that they'd come away with another Big East championship. Yeah, that's fair. I I do think that they match up better with Villanova than they necessarily do with Creighton. I just think it's, in terms of like Villanova seeding, honestly, in terms of UConn seeding, it's better that they play in Villanova than that they play Creighton. Yeah. Because that's another top 15 net win. Um, so in the broader picture, I, I think Nova's the better, better team to have to play, but I think we learn more if they play Korean. Yeah. Of the lower seeds on that side of the region, mostly between DePaul and Seton Hall, do you, could you see either of those two teams making a run having to go through Villanova or Creighton? I, I don't think so with DePaul. It's... I just really don't think so. <laughs> I just don't think they have enough this year. Um, Seton Hall, maybe. I think Seton Hall is the type of team, especially if Creighton has an off-shooting night in that game, they could make a run, but I don't know if they get through Nova still. I don't know. You're you're looking at a Villanova team that hasn't lost the biggest game to anyone other than UConn or Creighton, and yeah, crazy things happen in the tournament, but I don't really know that Nova's going to start that now. I think Nova's playing better than they have kind of all season. I think they're playing their best basketball right now. Yeah, Seton Hall also catches my eye just because they went on a little bit of a run last year in the tournament and then obviously got to the WNIT final. They also are similar team, a similar team to Creighton, just in that they like to shoot, they like to get out and run. Feels like it's going to be a very high-scoring affair assuming Seton Hall doesn't give Xavier its first Big East win of the year. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Creighton like not make it out of that that quarterfinal game and see it be Seton Hall instead. But I think I would be surprised to see anyone other than Nova in the final. That's fair. Prediction time. Do you think UConn still manages to come away with the Big East Championship? Yeah, as much as that might feel like a little bit of a hot take, shockingly, I, I still think they're going to win the tournament. <laughs> I feel the same way. I can't imagine that we've always seen UConn teams, when things aren't going well, they almost always figure it out. And yes, this is realistically as bad as they've been I don't even know how long, at least since the Dark mm-hmm. Ages, probably longer than that. They still seem to find a way. They've got a little bit of time coming in. It looks like AZ's trending towards maybe making a return. I think they at least get to the final, and then maybe, you know, Villanova just plays a really good game, and UConn can't handle Maddie Segrist. And that's where they fall. But I. I still think it would be a big upset for UConn not to win the Big East tournament. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't. I'd be less shocked that I would be in like past years if they didn't win it. But I still think the expectation should be that they will win it. Pretending they do win, and they let's say they just look like a normal Big East tournament UConn team. They roll through the first two rounds, and maybe they beat Villanova by like ten in a hard fought game. AZ's back in some capacity. Where does that put them on the bracket? Okay. Well, it all depends what everyone else does too. So that's that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the last reveal, because we haven't recorded since the last reveal. The last oh, reveal, right. which was last Thursday, Thursday. UConn was seventh overall. So it was South Carolina, Indiana, Stanford, Utah, LSU, Maryland, UConn. I thought that was a little low, to be honest, but I think it was probably a reaction to the eye test as of late and not just the St. John's loss, but just how UConn has looked for the past month, really, since that South Carolina game. That's kind of how I interpreted where they ended. And then also some probably more uncertainty about Izzy Fudd and her not being back yet. I think they automatically get a little bit of a bump if AZ Fun is back. If they play well in the Big East, I think that kind of offsets some of that eye test as well. And then you're looking at... We can assume that LSU is going to get blown out by South Carolina again. It doesn't matter. Yeah, which apparently doesn't matter, but we'll assume that Maryland is going to lose at some point in the Big Ten tournament. I think if both of those things happen... They land at like number five overall because either Stanford or Utah has to lose. There's still a chance at a one seed. I think they're still in the conversation for a one seed. But like if I had to just like guessing off of how everything else is going to go, imagine where they fall today. I would probably say if they win the Big East comfortably and AC Fudd is back in some capacity, they end up as the the fifth overall. The thing that kind of drives me nuts about people saying that the eye test matters is during the reveal they said ESPN specifically said that the committee told them that UConn's close wins over Creighton and Villanova were factored in 
which makes no sense to me because Villanova was also was on the road. It was a nine point win, which is a decently convincing win against a team that is also on one of the seed lines. And Creighton, who I looked it up immediately, was number 20 in net. So it's not like they did that against Xavier. If you were going to say that about doing about close wins over DePaul and Xavier, I wouldn't be arguing with you. It feels like the eye test metric is being applied to UConn and UConn only because Stanford hasn't budged from its spot really when it has been playing terrible, not terrible basketball. It hasn't been as bad as UConn, but Stanford has not been good for the month of February. It needed what double or triple OT to beat Colorado. Who's a fringe top 25 team. Mm -hmm. It lost to Utah. It did lose to they did lose to Utah this weekend. Yep, that was before the reveal. But okay, yeah. or after but the reveal. But yeah, if we're talking about the high test, Stanford is not passing it either. Yet they're not getting dinged at all. Yeah, to me that is just wild that that's what they, they said. The committee said because if you want to talk about yeah, close wins to or close wins over every other team in the Big East other than Villanova and Creighton, sure. But like when you're talking about top twenty net teams, like. They should be close games. Like they sh- like Villanova's number fourteen. I think they're eleventh in the net. Like they shouldn't be like blowing Villanova out of the water. That shouldn't be the expectation. Yeah, it it really feels like UConn doesn't get graded against other teams in the country, but gets graded against past versions of itself. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah, like anyways, it's been a few years now that. Whenever there seems to be a 50-50 decision with UConn, it goes against UConn. The one that really sticks out to me was Lewin Fee's senior year. Every bracket projection pretty much had him as a one. They end up on the two line. And what the committee says directly is that UConn's strength of schedule wasn't good enough. Okay, if you want to make that argument, then you can't have Mississippi State, who had like the 40 something strength of schedule, also on the one line. That's yep. like UConn's strength. The schedule was better than Mississippi state that year, I believe yet. There were no doubts about Mississippi state making the one line. So ever since then, it has just felt like the same standards that it will, if you ripped the name off the front of the Jersey and were just grading the resume, it would look a lot better for UConn than it does at present. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I think overall barring, so kind of like Maryland winning the Big Ten tournament or LSU winning the SEC tournament, they probably end up five overall, maybe four overall, depending what happens in the Pac-12. But I mean, there's not much of a difference between being number four and number five overall. It's just what color jersey you wear. Yeah. Well, and who you play. Yeah, who you have to play, but yeah. Either way. And... Anywhere between, if I'm remembering right, three and six lands them in Seattle. Yeah, so assuming South Carolina stays number one overall, which I think is a given regardless of what they do in the SEC tournament at this point, and then Indiana stays two overall, which I think is is a pretty safe bet as well, then yeah, your three and four one seeds are going to go to Seattle, so then five and six would also go to Seattle as well. The thing that could potentially throw some 
um, wrenches in that is that you've got the two Pac-12 teams at 3-4 right now. So if those move, that could shuffle things. And then you've also got Maryland in the mix for a two-seed, and they can't match up with, with Indiana. So I would say Seattle, barring the conference rules, taking over. If UConn does everything to get into a spot in Seattle and then ends up in Greenville simply because of the conferences, I will be mad. Yeah, I would be really annoyed if they had to play like Indiana in the Yes, that too. In the Elite Eight because of the conference readjustment rule. That would suck. I was just gonna say I haven't necessarily bashed Greenville as a city. I've actually heard nice things. I just don't want to go there. It has looked nice during the SEC tournament, the shots that they've had. So it's not like we're talking about next year. Isn't it something like it's either Portland, Oregon, or Albany? I think so. Which, well, at least Albany is like convenient. <laughs> sure. Like, I we know that that's our fate because it's close for UConn and it would. Also, like, I assuming mean, Paige and AZ are healthy, like, they're going to get to go where they want to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Maybe they'll say that they want to go to Portland. That would be incredible. <laughs> they won't, but... Yeah, so it it could be worse. It could be next year. Yeah. <laughs> Just, there's nothing in Albany. There's nothing. This is very true. This is very true. There's really nothing there. Um, or, and yeah. it's not like it's Albany or, like... I think we have a Birmingham, Alabama coming up yes. in a couple of years. So, in that case, yeah, just send me to Albany. That's fine. But Portland, come on. <laughs> so anyways yeah, it seems likely i would say still that they would end up in seattle who, who knows um, what could happen with but this. yeah but who knows what happens this weekend who knows what happens everywhere else so it's really hard to say right now i think we'll have a better idea you'll be able to make a better guess after this weekend yukon could easily lose in the semifinals and i think they could beat villanova by like 25 I feel like those are equal possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I feel the same way about when you look at like the NCAA tournament right now. Like they could lose in the second round or they could win it all. And I don't know which is more likely. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about regionals as if it's guaranteed that they're going there. <laughs> Based on the way that we've been watching, that, that is certainly not a guarantee, especially right. if a UCF type team comes up to stores. <laughs> yep. Which I think Georgia is one of those teams that's going to be in that that seed mix, which is basically UCF 2.0. So that would be so terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I just hate watching those games. I hated They're watching so UCF those last years. Last year's UCF game in the tournament was still one of the like greatest gamble crowds I've ever yes. been at. Which remains, I I still don't understand how that happened. Good for the students, but I, oh man, I, I just can't do that again. Give me Miami <laughs> yeah. or someone. Is Miami in that range? Oh, I think they're a little lower, but yeah, actually, you know what? I think they might be like a nine now. I forget. I haven't looked at it a bit, but yeah. Miami would be fun. Have uh, Nika eat the Cavender Twins lunch? Yeah, that would be hilarious. I think it would be a very funny matchup. <laughs> the vibes. Yeah. unreal if that happened <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah that could be fun yeah but yeah we'll, we'll see we will 
They, but yeah, they'll just I think the switch. I think the ideal situation is you don't have to play. I don't really care where they go regional wise, but you don't have to play South Carolina, Stanford, or Indiana in the Elite Eight, which I don't know how likely that is happening at this point because it's becoming more difficult to be in that situation by the day. But that would be the ideal situation. I think those are the, like three other legitimate title contenders. Stanford doesn't scare me. That's fair. Their their potential scares me. The way that they're playing most certainly does not. Yeah, but they're kind of like a UConn right now. The way UConn right now is playing doesn't scare you, but like their potential probably scares most teams. Yeah, yeah. but this is like two straight years for them being a little head casey. Yeah. Maybe less so last year, but they it just feels like this group's won it. And they don't really have anything else to prove. That's a little fair. But I don't know. I still think they're one of the four teams. I was doing some research today. And if you look back like through all the te- or like all the years that her hoop stats rating exists for. So since the 2010 tournament, every team that has won the national championship is top 10. in like both our, off- the, her hoop stats offensive rating and her hoop stats defensive rating. Those four teams and then LSU, which is a fraud, are the only teams that are that's or have the top ten rankings of both of those right now. I think those are your legitimate contenders. And that includes UConn? That includes UConn and Stanford, South Carolina, UConn, Indiana, LSU, but like LSU's numbers are so padded by the yes. strength of schedule that they've <laughs> played. I don't count them. <laughs> But yeah, UConn is still top 10 in both of those, despite the way they've looked for the last month. Did you, like, keep, like, do you know who the worst national champion in that span is based on those numbers, or did you not look that closely at them? I can tell you in about 30 seconds here, if I can find the spreadsheet that I made while doing (laughs) it. (laughs) 10 was UConn, 11... Oh, that was Um, Texas A&M. Yeah. So they... Of, like, overall hoop stats rating, the worst team to win it all has been fourth, and that was Texas A&M in 2011 and Notre Dame in 2018. Um, Texas A&M was fourth in offensive rating and fourth in defensive rating. That Notre Dame team was second in offensive rating, but tenth in defensive rating, which is by far the worst defensive rating of any national champion. Yeah, because they got lucky that Marina Mabry didn't ca- get called for a foul for running through <laughs> Morgan William with like 15 seconds left. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know how you swallow the whistles there. Yeah, I agree. And then if you look at teams that have played in the national title game, the worst team is Arizona in 2021. They were 14th in overall her hoop stats rating, but 46 in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating all about the defense yeah and then i think the worst final four team was washington in 2016 i was gonna say it has to be one of those 2016 teams. yeah yeah it was washington in 2016 and they are also by far the worst defensive rating to ever make the final four the 38th in defensive rating that was just uh, kelsey, they had plum. kelsey plum yeah yeah Yep. But also, yeah, this is my 
Hawaii, Utah, and Iowa will not make the final four. <laughs> Research. <laughs> Did I Morgan <laughs> was Morgan Valley coaching at Washington that year? She was. I can't. She might she have was. been. Yeah. Yeah, she was there 2015 through 2017. So she was there for two seasons, including that one. But yeah, they were 28th overall. I think that was the worst team to make the final four in her substrating. Yeah. The second worst was 16th, which was Cal in 2013. I could not have. You wasn't UConn. Yeah, UConn was in that final four, and I could have couldn't have told you that Cal made the final four. <laughs> yep. What was that? Was that who was their star? Was it Christine Nigway or something? No, that was later. Uh, I'm gonna look it up now because I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Rashonda Gray and Alicia Cullerton were on that team. Oh, okay. So they had some people. Mm-hmm. We'll see if UConn can be one of them. I'd love to know what <laughs> UConn's defensive. Offensive and defensive rating simply in the month of February would be. That I couldn't tell you exactly because I don't oh, know, I know exactly how it. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I know. I'm, yeah. I'm more just saying it would be nice to know. Yeah. I, I do have a theory, and this is more for the general UConn fans as opposed to the women's basketball specific fans. What if UConn women's basketball's February is just UConn men's basketball's January, where. <laughs> inexplicably they were terrible for a month but before they were great and after they were great i mean the men if you take out january the men would be the number one team undisputed in the country right now but january happened you take out february for the women they might be on the two line so yeah maybe this is just their version of men's basketball's january and yeah they haven't played in march so we don't know yet yeah, hopefully their march looks like the start of the men's march, which was very pretty, but a little boring yesterday. <laughs> it felt like a women's game with the 29-2 yeah. run, I think it was. <laughs> or 27 yeah. nothing, whichever one you want to pick. Yeah, hopefully UConn can channel some of that into their first game on Saturday. They need it. Yep. <laughs> they need just one of those vintage Yukon runs where you blink and the game's over and there's still like seven minutes left in the second quarter. Yep. Next time we record, we'll have a very good idea of where this Yukon team stands entering the break. Until then, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks for listening. <laughs>